gathered the people who were with him and set over them commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds. David sent out the David sent the people out, one third under the <coughs> command of Joab, one third under the command of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one third under the command of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I myself will surely go out with you also. But the people said, You should not go out, for if indeed for if we indeed flee, they will not care about us. Even if half of us die, they will not care about us. But you are worthy you are worth ten thousand of us. Therefore now it is better that you be ready to help us from the city. Then the king said to them, Whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and the people went out by the hundreds of thousands. The king charged Joab and Abishai and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And, and all the people heard when the king charged the commanders concerning Absalom. Okay, David's army is preparing for battle. And uh, he's going to divide up the army in three segments under three different commanders. Who are the three? Joab, Abishai, and Ittai. Uh, remember him, Joab and Abishai, both nephews of David. And David's idea is he'll go out with them. But in this case, what do the people say about that idea? Bad idea because... You're too valuable. We lose you, we lose our cause. We've got to protect you. We don't want you in the battle. You need to stay behind. It's good sometimes to listen to reason even from people who are under us. Um, sometimes they've got good advice. And sometimes it's good to allow ourselves to be overruled by other people's good advice. I think that's what happens with David in this situation. I think he listens to that. And uh, that's really true. He says, whatever seems best to you, I will do. Remember, Hushai, who was not out for Absalom's good, suggested that he personally be in front of the army leading them into battle. But the wiser idea is to save the most valuable uh, behind, because if you lose him, then you've lost the battle. Uh, so, so that was a good idea. What was the one piece of advice that David insists on? <laughs> Be gentle with Absalom. Be gentle with Absalom. Does that strike you as um, interesting? Sounds like David. That's what got him in the situation. Yeah, you're right. If he hadn't been so gentle with Absalom, perhaps this all wouldn't have happened. And uh, you can understand, even from a, he's a son, you know, the oldest surviving son, in fact. And... I think David feels some guilt and responsibility for everything that's going on with Absalom. But how do you do that? You know, how do you send an army into battle and say, and uh, don't hurt him? <laughs> you know, that, that just doesn't work very well. I mean, Absalom is the man on the other side. So to say, be gentle, you know, what are you supposed to do? You know, you kill him really, you know, lightly or, you know. I mean, he's, he's the man. So that, that's kind of uh, difficult advice to follow. But everybody hears David say that. Comments or questions through verse 5. Yes, Tyler. The contrast between David's opinion of Absalom and what he wants his army to do as opposed to what Absalom thinks when he hears uh, the advice of 
I can never say his name, Ahithophel. Ahithophel, pardon me. When he says go out and, you know, eradicate it, the, the contrast is very sharp in it. David wants to be gentle. Yeah, absolutely. Would Absalom be gentle with David? Certainly not. No indication that he has any intention of being gentle with David. So, yeah, that is a contradiction. Good point, Michael. Is there anything to, uh, to the fact that he doesn't, at this juncture, inquire of the Lord like he has done at certain points and not done at other points? I mean, he's, he's listening to what seems to be sound advice, but he's not inquiring of the Lord. I don't know. I mean, certainly it doesn't seem wise for him to suggest dealing gently with Absalom. I mean, the rest of this, I don't know that there's any spiritual principle being violated. Other thoughts? Logan? Well, with regards to inquiring of the Lord, you said earlier that that uh, might have been, you know, using the Urim and the Thummim with the priest. As he's away from Jerusalem, would he even have access to inquiring of the Lord? Probably not. I, I hadn't thought about that, but that's a good, good <laughs> observation. Megan? Um, also, like, why would David say, like, be gentle with Absalom when Absalom had, like, like, gone beyond the point of return. I know. Yeah, that, you know, shows you David's, you know, complications. I mean, I think he feels a lot of guilt and uh, a softness toward his children. Anything else? Okay, how about 6 to 18? People went out into the field against Israel, and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. The people of Israel were defeated there before the servants of David, and the slaughter there that day was great, twenty thousand men. The battle there was spread over the whole countryside, and the forest devoured more people than that day than the sword devoured. Now Absalom happened to meet the servants of David. For Absalom was, the, was riding on his mule, and the mule went under the thick branches of a great oak and his head caught fast in the oak, so he was left hanging between heaven and earth, while the mule that was under him kept going. When a certain man saw it, he told Joab and said, Behold, I saw Absalom hanging in an oak. Then Joab said to the man who had told him, Now, behold, you saw him. Why then did you not strike him there to the ground? And I would have given you ten pieces of silver and a belt. The man said to Joab, even if I should receive a thousand pieces of silver in my hand, I would not put out my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing, the king charged you and Abishai and Hittai, saying, Protect for me the young man Absalom. Otherwise, if I had dealt treacherously against his life, and there is nothing hidden from the king, then you yourself would have stood aloof. Then Joab said, I will not waste time here with you. So he took three spears in his hand and thrust them through the heart of Absalom while he was yet alive in the midst of the oak. And ten young men who carried Joab's armor gathered around and struck Absalom and killed him. Then Joab blew the trumpet and the people returned from pursuing Israel, for Joab restrained the people. They took Absalom and cast him into a deep pit in the forest and erected over him a very great heap of stones. And all Israel fled, each to his tent. Now Absalom in his lifetime had taken and set up for himself a pillar which is in the king's valley. For he said, I have no son to preserve my name. So he named the pillar after his own name, and it is called Absalom's Monument to this day. So, there's a big um, factor in this battle, in a, you know, non-God-focused uh, idea. Obviously the Lord's in charge, but 
But one of the factors the Lord used in giving David the victory was the terrain in the battle. This was a uh, very uh, difficult area, forested area, um, and, and really it lends itself to the skills of David's army. You know, guerrilla warfare specialists, and not to Absalom's vast sea of forces. Reminds me a lot of what they always taught me in school anyway, about the Revolutionary War, where the, uh, you know, uh, I guess, I don't know, I've forgotten what you call the, the uh, American revolutionaries, but they were kind of a ragtag bag of, well, uh, right? Band. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> of, uh, of guys that were experts in, in just the terrain and guerrilla warfare, and the red coats were kind of always trying to march in formation, and, and it didn't work very well. I don't know if that was really true or not. But that's kind of what I think of here. You know, Absalom's army just doesn't deal well with, with battles in this kind of a setting, and David's army does. And, and <laughs> it's kind of funny, but what ends up happening with poor Absalom? He becomes a vineyard. <laughs> he becomes a vineyard. Yeah. Yeah, he does. Who said what? So got into a hairy situation. Got into a hairy situation. <laughs> 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 he decided to hang out. <laughs> I didn't know this lent itself to uh, so much punishment, but. Uh, <laughs> He's going, you know, he's riding on his mule through this forest, and he gets his, uh, well, he gets himself caught in a branch of this oak. Now, it doesn't specifically say this, but I believe he's hung by his hair. There are people who deny that, but I, I think that's really the best explanation for this, you know, which is very appropriate. I mean... He gloried in his hair. He was so vain about this hair. His hair was just his notable, you know, characteristic. And it ends up being his downfall because he gets caught. Can you imagine him dangling? The mule goes on and leaves Absalom dangling there by his hair, you know, that's caught in the branches of this tree. And uh, kind of a funny situation, I guess. But often our pride becomes our snare. And... Uh, so, there's a man who tells Joab, you know, I saw Absalom, he's there hanging in that oak. Of course, what did Joab say to the man? Why didn't you kill him? Why didn't you kill him? And what does the man say? Not yeah, you know, you heard what the king said. He said, well, I'd have given you a thousand pieces of silver if you'd have, if you'd have killed him. And, uh, you know, the man says, no, you wouldn't. You know, the man knows Joab. If he had killed Absalom, Joab would have left, left him twisting and wind. You know, he's pretty smart about this. Joab said, I don't have any time for this. And he goes and kills him himself with the aid of some, some other men who put darts in, into his, uh, or spears into him or whatever. And so he's, he's killed. Joab is the kind of guy who doesn't second guess himself. You know, he's a man of action. Time for action here. No time to discuss moral implications or what David's going to think about this or whatever. Uh, to Joab, a death is a death, and this death is necessary. Once they kill Absalom, they can have a ceasefire. There's no reason to continue the battle. Really, a lot of people's lives are probably spared. From a tactical, military, practical standpoint, I think you've got to go along with Joab. This was a wise move, but it wasn't what David wanted. It wasn't what David said. Now, this is another instance where Joab, you know, he's pretty smart. 
He does some pretty wise things in a lot of ways, but he is not strictly submissive to David. You might argue that he's loyal to David in the sense that he does what he thinks is going to be best for David most of the time. But he does that even against what David says to do. So that's kind of uh, Joab's situation. We've, we get rid of Absalom, we do declare ceasefire, but you wonder how David's going to take this kind of news. Megan? Um, I have a question. Like, here, it says that he stripped by three spears into the heart of Joab. Mm -hmm. Is that like the same thing that Absalom did? Yeah. Like, how would it work? Because wouldn't he already be dead? Well, perhaps, but if not, uh, they've got, uh, you know, good... Uh, a good situation to, to make sure that he's killed. So, you know, between Joab and the man, he's, he's dead several times. <laughs> right. My Bible had a note suggesting that an overkill would have, for whatever reason, put to death the, the uprising more than just, I guess, killing him. Maybe it would, and also, who's to say who really killed him? Do you think right. this fits in with Deuteronomy 21 about curse of the, is the person who... I do. I think so. I think, uh, you know, when Deuteronomy 21 says that the one who hangs in a tree is cursed, that's Deuteronomy 21, 22, uh, and 3, um, he was hanged as a cursed of God. I believe that this is the only place outside of the Torah, the first five books, that the verb hang is used in this sense. So I think it does, you know, remind us of the curse on someone who's hung in a tree. Patrick? Um, do you think that maybe Joab also felt like maybe some sense of responsibility here since it was like mm. his master plan to bring Absalom back? Hadn't thought about it. Could be, though. That's an interesting idea. Jacob? I really appreciate this man who comes, I mean, who finds Absalom because he refuses, even when Joab said he, you know, kind of bribes him and everything. I mean, he's faithful to David and, which is more than what Joab was. I mean, Joab was almost, like we've said, loyal to a fault towards David. But this man, I mean, even when, he says, even if you'd offered me a thousand pieces of silver, I mean, I wouldn't hurt Absalom because my king told me not to. Great point. Tim? A uh, couple things. First of all, I always kind of chuckled to myself when the Bible says, and the people of Israel happened upon Absalom, stuff like that, because, you know, it, it's God that did that, and I just think it's kind of funny wording. But um, secondly, is there any uh, significance to the wording? It's like it says he caught between heaven and earth. It's, only, it's a really interesting wording. But. I don't know. That is interesting. I don't know if there's something special or not. Maybe somebody will come up with that. Alec? I was going to say, you know, we talk about his loyalty. David, he doesn't always act through his decisions and everything, but I think he doesn't really have the right mindset. He's, he's wanting to protect David. Sure. The people that he keeps killing uh, are, are people that, that can endanger, you know, David's life. So. I do agree with that. Yeah. Um, another probably incomplete thought. Uh, okay, so Absalom wasn't just an enemy of David. He was his son. And he wanted possibility of him coming to him and trying to work it out one on one. Maybe, just a thought. And, you know, that's how God is with us. We are his children. We are enemies of him, but we are still his children. And he still wants the possibility of us coming back to, to him. And, and so maybe that was David thinking that maybe it can all work out and he'd live. 
Um, and maybe um, Joab didn't want that to happen. He didn't want a makeup or something. I'm not sure that Absalom would have changed, but I no. can understand David's attitude in that. And uh, so that's that's worth thinking about. There's a lot of ways to look at these things, but helpful comment. Thank you. Cameron. I think it's interesting that da- da- uh, David gave uh, Joab a very hard, probably not a wise command not to kill him, um, and a very hard one to follow through on. How do you go up against this guy that's raising at you, trying to kill you, and then you don't kill him? But God set up to where he gave him a perfect opportunity. He hung him up in a tree alive. You could easily take him down captive. Um, I think that's cool how God's guiding Joab. He's like, Here, here's your chance to follow what Dan, uh, David said to the rule. And yet he didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Other thoughts? I think you'll remember David was given the same opportunity several times with Saul. Yes. Good point. Caleb. Uh, one that says he was covered between heaven and earth. Did that mean that he was like dying, but he wasn't dead yet? Well, that's the way it turns out, at least. <laughs> yeah. Other thoughts? It's a, Eric. The more I've been thinking about the promises to Abraham in Genesis 12 about those who curse you are going to be cursed, every time you see in the Old Testament, or a lot of times anyways, when there's somebody cursing God's people, they end up getting cursed. And it, you see that being fulfilled throughout the whole Old Testament. Definitely. Yeah, good point. Other thoughts? Good, good comments. Okay. Uh, well, uh, the news comes to David, 19 to 32. Then Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said, Please let me run and bring the king news that the Lord has freed him from the hand of his enemies. But Joab said to him, You are not the man to carry news this day, but you shall carry news another day. However, you shall carry no news today, because the king's son is dead. Then Joab said to the Cushite, Go, tell the king what you have seen. The Cushite bowed to Joab and ran. Now Ahimaaz, the son of Zadok, said once more to Joab, But whatever happens, please let me also run after the Cushite. And Joab said, Why would you run, my son, since you will have no reward for going? But whatever happens, he said, I will run. So he said to him, Run. Then Ahimaaz ran by the way of the plain and passed up the Cushite. Now David was sitting between the two gates, and the watchman went up to the roof of the gate by the wall and raised his eyes and looked, behold, a man running by himself. The watchman called and told the king, and the king said, If he is by himself, there is good news in his mouth. And he came nearer and nearer. Then the watchman saw another man running, and the watchman called to the gatekeeper and said, Behold, another man running by himself. And the king said, This one also is bringing good news. The watchman said, I think the running of the first one is like the running of him as the son of Zadok. And the king said, This is a good man, and comes with good news. Ahimaaz called and said to the king, All is well. And he prostrated himself before the king with his face to the ground. And he said, Blessed, blessed is the Lord your God, who has delivered up the man of the men who lifted their hands against my lord the king. The king said, 
Is it well with the young man Absalom? And him as answered, When Joab sent the king's servant and your servant, I saw a great tumult, but I did not understand what it was. Then the king said, Turn aside and stand here. So he turned aside and stood still. Behold, the Cushite arrived, and the Cushite said, Let my lord the king receive good news, for the Lord has freed you this day from the hand of all those who rose up against you. Then the king said to the Cushite, Is it well with the young man Absalom? And the Cushite answered, Let the enemies of the Lord my king and all who rise up against you for evil be as that young man. All right, there's a question of who's going to take the news back to David, who wants to. Ahimeaz, who is who? Zadak's son. Remember one of those runners that the priests would, would send. Um, so uh, he wants to take the news. Joab doesn't want him to take the news. He said, another day you can take the news, not today. I think he is excited and eager to tell David the good news. I think David knows, or Joab knows rather, that David's not going to see this as good news. So he sends the Cushite, but Ahimeaz keeps bugging him about it and keeps insisting. He's practically a self-appointed announcer, and so he goes. Megan? Um, my Bible has like a little note. It says that pretty much like that Joe Joab would probably probably thought that the messenger wouldn't get such a great reaction from the king. Yeah, I think not, because of Absalom. They won the battle, but they didn't spare the young man Absalom. So I think he doesn't want Ahimaaz to get a bad reaction from David. He'd rather send the Cushite. But Ahimaaz insists, so he sends him after the Cushite. He ends up passing up the Cushite and uh, coming first. And so the watchmen tell David, we, we see a guy, and now we see a, a second guy too. And he says, good news. You know, this is not a routed, panicked army fleeing in mass. This is one or two messengers that are coming. It's going to be good news. And finally, they recognize the run. I'm not exactly sure how you recognize how somebody runs versus somebody else run. Uh, runners perhaps have that uh, ability. For many people, run by running. But, but at any rate, they recognize this looks like a Himiaz is running. You know, kind of reminds you of how they could tell Jehu by his driving. I can tell that sometimes. <laughs> And the king thinks, or David thinks, this will be good news for sure. Because, you know, uh, David wouldn't send Ahimeaz with bad news. You know, Joab wouldn't send Ahimeaz with bad news. David realizes that. So Ahimeaz you know, gives him great news. We've won. What about, what about Absalom? Is it well with the young man Absalom? David doesn't care about the, the winning of the war. He cares about sparing Absalom. It's, it's really interesting, his, his attitude in that. that. That's much more important to him than any, any other detail of the war. And, you know, him I asked sort of, well, it was a great tool. I don't know exactly what was going on. I'm not sure that's so accurate on his part, but I think it's dawned on him, this might not be the most popular detail to pass on. And so the Cushite then does. And so David is faced with the fact that Absalom has been killed. Comments and questions? Alright, let's see David's reaction then. Wow. 33 to 19.7. 